You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to All The Things. It is Saturday night again. We're glad that you are with us. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager. And this is All The Things, the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible from a historically Christian perspective. I always kind of forget to say that part, but you know. Here we are. Here we are. And on the buttons, we have Bob the Button Pusher. There he is. There he is. working. Yes. Professional button pusher. And you know what? It's Bob's birthday. Almost. Yes. Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow. Yes. 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 And so in honor of that, I have a couple of pictures. First of all, I wanted to show this one. This young man pushing the buttons back in the 80s. Wow. <laughs> Look at that computer. Early 90s. Early 90s, you think? I think I remember that shirt. I think it's like uh, 91 or 90, probably 92. Okay. 92. Back when you had contact lenses and the whole uh, TV studio could fit in a closet. It, yes. It's pretty amazing. Yes. If you're familiar with Biola University, uh, the Sutherland Auditorium, there's a broom closet. Off to the side. Off to the side. This is where the whole production studio was in 1990. (laughs) There you are. That's what he looked like when we first started dating. Oh, happy times. I haven't changed that much. I look about the same, right? About the same. Yeah. Yeah. Still handsome. (laughs) Ruggedly handsome. This is back when you had contact lenses. Uh, And then I had this picture of you and Abby. Abby before her braces. Look at that. You guys out at the Angel game last summer. So happy birthday, Bob. Happy birthday, Bob. Thanks for all you Thank you you very much. Oh, got a little Barry Manilow going or something. Thank you you for all you do. The show wouldn't happen without you. Yes. So, and yeah, go ahead. I wasn't going to say much. Oh, okay. Go ahead. (laughs) We're live. Let's just be honest. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. So, well, uh, check out the uh, chat box. If people are watching us live, they can go on YouTube and talk to us. In fact, we already see our friend Susanna in there and Laura Hartley is there. So, and Theo. Yes. So tell us hello. Tell us wh- who's watching. And support the show. Please share the show. If you want to know how you can support the show, please share the show. Get in on that share button like us facebook um check out our website yeah just yeah share the show make the word known yeah the sharing really helps that's like the gold standard for our algorithm to help us do better and widen our platform so it's really the the best way to help support the show and tell your friends to share the show yes Yes. and (laughs) our friend amanda is there hello Amanda. amanda watching tonight and um, I also want to give a quick mention to our show from last week. Yes. In case people missed it, they can go check out our in, our interview with our friend Kirillis Gurgis on Christianity's African Roots. It was a good interview. It was. He was a really cool guy. Really thoughtful. Just had all his ducks in a row. I was like, look at you. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. It was a really good interview. So we, we covered the topic of, is Christianity a white man's religion? Talked a little bit about the North African fathers and the role of uh, the North African fathers really in the early 
uh, shaping of our faith. It's something that many Christians these days don't know a lot about. Yes. We were talking to your mom, actually, who's been a Christian probably her whole life. Yes. And she said, you know, I never knew about these these fathers. Yeah. And so it's true. Not many people understand the role of the fathers in the church or um, the African roots of Christianity. Yeah. So um, Carillus was or is part of the Egyptian church, the Coptic church. Yeah. And that was founded by Mark. Yeah. The Apostle Mark. Yes. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I learned on this show. Y'all, it's informative. <laughs> so go check that out. We also, you can hear some of our perspectives about a uh, college student uh, telling, uh, saying in the Multicultural Student Center, that there are too many white people. Y'all, if y'all want to see me at my best, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even really go back to that day. That that was a moment in time and so. in history. Yes, but um, I share my thoughts on you know what is the multicultural center and um, who is taking up space. And as God's children, do any of us just take up space, or is there something that we give in being present? Yeah, you know, right. there is something that we give in being present. So. so you can catch all those replays on um, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and all of the platforms. Sorry, I just have something I don't in know, my eye. I don't, don't know if we have the graphic. That's okay. Don't well, pay attention to me. Yes. All right. There it is. I was waiting for it to come Sorry. on. That's okay. Too many buttons. All right. You're only one man. Okay. So as we were preparing. And he's the birthday man. That's a, You know? That's right. There it is. So as we were preparing the show this week, we just started noticing a lot of um, themes coming up. Yeah, I don't even know if it was a lot of themes. It was just one theme. One theme that in seemed several to, places. Yeah, yeah, that seemed to permeate throughout the news this week within our news feed on Twitter. And that was this idea of sex yeah. and gender and what does it mean and who is what gender and who identifies with which sex or vice versa. So that's going to be what we're talking about today. Yeah. So the whole show is going to be really looking at uh, our culture's kind of sexual chaos as we've, we've titled it. So why do you think that this is an important conversation for us to have? Like, what are your thoughts about that? I think as Christians, it's important for us to have this conversation so that we understand identity Mm -hmm. and that identity is more than just, biology and um what what um like sexual organs you have yeah you know there's people i'm trying to be as diplomatic diplomatic as possible (laughs) i'm just saying um you know there there's there are things written in scripture about who we are and i think when we when we muddle those things, when we muddle the water and when we say, oh, well, if you're like this, you must be this and automatically um, give definition, especially to young children, you know, give definition to a girl because she may prefer to play kickball instead of, <laughs> you know, ballet. Yeah. You know, if that means that she becomes X in culture, what does that do to her identity? Yeah. And what confusion does that spark for her? Um, so we titled the show Sexual Chaos, like, like, well, that's the the latter end, but it, it refers to sexual chaos. And yeah. there is just a lot of chaos regarding sex and gender within our culture. Yeah. And it's important to talk about it. 
Yeah, and I think that the Bible has some things to say about it, and we want Christians to sort of be informed and be thinking through these these questions because I think the very first thing you said is really important, and that is our culture is engaged in a very important conversation about identity. Mm-hmm. And Scripture has some things to say about who we are and whose we are. Yeah. So we're going to get into it. I thought maybe a good place to kick things off here would be to look at this short video. Um, It's being used by the state of California to teach uh, about queer theory. And and we talk a lot on the show about critical theory. And we mostly talk about it in terms of critical race theory. But we are going to touch on some issues tonight that are related to what is called queer theory. And Which is just further down the train. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All spearheaded under critical theory. Right. But then these are like attached cars <laughs> in the train. Exactly. So our state where we live in California, this is a video that's being used in schools right now to educate children about gender and sex. So we thought it was a good, timely example of what some of the key terms are. And it gives some good definitions of how our culture is understanding and defining and redefining certain terms. So let's go to the let's go to the video. It's only about two minutes long, and then we'll come back and talk about it. All right, folks, here we go. A romaine and kale salad with avocado, cucumber, shishito peppers, and four kinds of cheese. Sprinkled in balsamic straight from Italy. Wow. In my day, salads only had two ingredients. A rock-hard wedge of iceberg lettuce and a stinky old dried-up tomato. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm going to have to eat fast. Alex is stopping by in a few minutes to work on our robotics project. Alex, is that the girl with that weird dog or the boy with the hat with the wings that flap? No, Uncle Jay. This is Alex. Oh, okay. I remember. A very nice young... Hmm. Come to think of it, well, is Alex a boy or a girl? Actually, Alex doesn't define themselves as boy or girl. What else is there? Back in your day, most people understood the world in terms of just boys and girls. But now, we know gender is more complex than that. Wait, aren't we just talking about whether you're born with a hmm or a hee-hee? When you're born, your sex is assigned in a medical way. But the sex listed on your birth certificate may not necessarily match your gender identity. Gender identity is a person's inner experience of who they are in terms of gender, their deep personal sense of being male, female, a blend of both, or neither. And while many people have a gender identity that's the same as their assigned birth sex of female or male, that's not always the case, because gender exists on a spectrum. Like transgender, which means a person whose gender identity is not consistent with their assigned birth sex. Non-binary, which means a person whose identity doesn't fall in the category of either male or female. And genderqueer or gender fluid, which means a person who does not identify themselves as having a specific gender at all. Does gender identity have to do with being straight or gay? Actually, no. Gender identity has to do with the way you feel about yourself. While sexual orientation is based on the way you feel toward others, the people you may or may not be attracted to. You know, I really like Alex, and I can tell they're a good friend to you, but I'm still pretty confused about all of this. That's okay. You don't have to fully understand someone to respect them. To start, try not to make any assumptions about a person's gender, and use the name and pronouns that they ask you to. Above all, be a friend or ally for people of all gender identities. 
That's right, Mom. Oh, Alex is here. Come on in. Hey, everyone. Oh, hey, Alex. Care for some salad? The balsamic's right from <laughs> Italy, <salad>. you know. <laughs> okay, so it looks like we might under have understood what's going on. Um, Picture's still blurry. All right, well, it's probably the stream. So, okay. Laura says, um, thank you. It was every time you said the word... Well, I want to see if I say it and it goes out. Yeah. Okay. Sex. Gender. Did it, did it go out? But it's every time we say those words. So we might need to come up with a new word. I don't know what that word should be. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. They can always go to the Facebook stream yeah. if, it's, if it's bad. Yeah. So go try the Facebook stream if YouTube gets too, too unwieldy. Um, you can always try that. Okay, let's let's uh, try to stay on track here. So um, we've got the video. Let's... I have with like a teenage mind. So I know. I'm just <laughs> That's like, why I'm like trying to rope it I in. I just want to keep saying it now. <laughs> it's just it's like, don't touch the stove. Oopsies. <laughs> Sorry, friends. Okay, All right. so let's get back on track. All right, um, so let's talk about this business first about sex versus gender. Yes. Well, don't say it. Well, we have to say it. We can't have the show without saying it. All right. So let's talk about. This is great. I love it. I'm getting frustrated. All right. It's okay. All right. So why don't you start with a definition of what's going on here with sex versus gender? Well, one of the things that is being put forward right now is that gender is a social construct that um, while your biological sex, your X and Y chromosomes may be tight and in shape, stagnant, like that that isn't moving, your gender and what you identify as and how you see yourself is fluid and can move along a spectrum. So you can be a male and feel... A biological yeah, male. a biological male. Your that's, sex that's can your be sex. male. Yes. Yeah. And you can identify and inside feel like a male. A um, female. No, a male. Oh, okay. Okay. Because it's on a spectrum. Okay. But you can also be a male, born as a male. I like the video because he had little hand signals. <laughs> you can also be a male and... Not so you're born physically as a male, but n not feel either way. I don't necessarily feel like a boy. I don't necessarily feel like a girl. I'm just I'm neither. OK, you can also be a male, but feel like you're a female inside. So that's part of it. But the social construct is that people who hold to queer theory believe that this gender is put on people. So. Boys are born and we have a baby shower or we decorate the nursery. What is it? Trucks. It's blue. This is something that's put on them instead of allowing them the freedom to really choose because your gender is fluid. Because gender can 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 change. It can you can feel different ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we talk in critical race theory about how race is a social construct that biologically there's no difference really between us mm -hmm. as races, but we assign meaning to melanin yeah, and how much melanin people have. 
And so one of the things that you and I have said is that we agree with that, that, that race is a social construct. It's, it's a biological difference in the sense that you have more melanin than I do, but that's a fairly superficial thing. And we don't attach meaning to the racial differences. But when we get into queer theory, when they say that gender is a, is a social construct, what they're saying with that is that we shouldn't assign meaning to differences, biological differences between men and women. It's, it's all just up for grabs. There's, it's, it doesn't depend on the, the physical uh, the biology of the person. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it is, it's social in that it is put upon them. Um, so we, really we force girls choosing. to like pink and take ballet lessons. Mm-hmm. And we have, we enroll boys in little league and we paint their rooms blue mm-hmm. and buy them dinosaurs. And yes. then, and then what do you do with my daughter, my older daughter who was obsessed with dinosaurs and I think that sort of still continues, even though she's 20. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but she she dressed up as a paleontologist when she was three for, for Halloween, you know. And um, so what do we do with that? Is that her being like boyish mm-hmm. or is that a, a social construct? Girls should have the freedom to be paleontologists if, if they want. And boys should be able to be chefs or whatever you want to say. Yeah. So... Um, that you get into all of these kind of tricky questions about socialization and how much of that is thrown on people and then how much of it is conformity. But then if everything's up for grabs, the question is, is, is male and female even meaningful anymore? That's the thing is if everything is up for grabs, nothing really like, what are you grabbing? Nothing really has any um, true meaning anymore. Okay. So Susanna is asking us a question. What is the age audience for this video? Um, it's elementary school. Okay. And Monique said that there, uh, would it, it compare. Would it compare to me, me saying I'm really black? Um, Oh, Rachel Dozel. That's a, that's a real question because how do you identify what is your truth? Yeah, what is your truth? Because when you get into this whole postmodern critical theory, everything is a social construct. Then a natural question is: is well, could I self-identify as a black person? Maybe I grew up in the inner city, and I grew up in a housing project and I'm more identified with black culture. Could I self-identify as a black person? Cause there, there, you know, there is this example of this white woman who sort of posed as a black woman and was a president of a local NAACP chapter. I'm getting the look people. You see this look, this is the look that I get. All the time. And now she's doing it on camera for y'all. Yes. Yes, I am. Because (laughs) I think that. Well, one, no, let's just be clear. No, it won't work Um, because they're no, I I just I don't really even know what to say. I don't think that. I mean, like in Rachel Dozel's case, they were like, no, she's white. She's not black. But how do you do that when. 
on the other hand, you're saying, oh, well, you're not a male. You're a female because you want to be. But to see, there's, so this there's is, the picking and the choosing. But this is the separation of biology versus versus gender. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the video, they made the point about, like, you can be a friend or an ally to the person. You can be a friend to somebody who struggles with with this issue of what's the technical term for it is gender dysphoria. dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Certainly be a friend. Like we're not talking about unfriending people. We want to be kind. Yeah. But the, the you don't, big question is, is all this like affirmation culture well, that we're being pressured that's into. That's the whole thing too, is the redefinition of tolerance and the idea that if you're going to be friendly with someone or to someone who you may disagree with, that means that you have to automatically accept their choices and lifestyle. Like, why can't I be kind and friendly to you? And you're clear that I disagree. And I'm clear that, you know, you're not interested in changing your lifestyle. Let's go to coffee. Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. Like, I mean, can't that, can that not live together as Christians? Can we not? As Christians, I think sit, it ought to live together. Right? But in our culture, exactly. there's, there's this affirmation culture that's happening. So let's go to this next piece is the Washington, uh, the Wall Street Journal. That's what it was. There was an, there was pretty remarkable um, opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal this week. And the Wall Street Journal is the source of never ending frustration for Monique and I, because you cannot access it without a, a you can register only like on your phone every once in a while. Yeah. But you have to have a registration. And so, like, oh. so we only have screen caps <laughs> of it and you won't be able to go read the article unless you go on your mobile device. Maybe, yeah. but you can go check out the wall street journal piece. Let's see if we can get this up here. So it, it really is a pretty remarkable um, article and I do encourage you to go read the whole thing. If you can get it. The dangerous denial of sex, transgender ideology harms women, gays, and especially feminine boys. And uh, I don't like the term masculine girls, but it's sort of the classic tomboy uh, situation. So <laughs> I, I just don't like that term, but that's just my personal preference. So anyways, uh, Monique and I just picked a few excerpts from the article that we wanted to, to talk through a bit um, here because we thought it was a pretty interesting piece that it was in a mainstream publication because it was taking a very uh, culturally different position. Mm -hmm. So it says there is a difference, however, between the statements that there are only two sexes, which is true. There's male, female, there's just biology. That's what sex is. Mm -hmm. And that everyone can be neatly categorized as either male or female. That's actually false because we're going to go on to explain the existence of only two sexes does not mean that sex is never ambiguous. Intersex is something we need to understand. This is the old-fashioned word for hermaphrodite. Yes. And these are people that have... Both sex organs. Organs. There you go. Mm -hmm. They have aspects of both sex organs. Intersex individuals are extremely rare, and, and they are neither a third sex nor proof that sex is a spectrum or a social construct. Yes. Now, tell us what's happening here, because this is the shell game that the, is happening in, in queer theory. So they're taking a very small percentage of the population and saying, see, look at them. That proves my point. Instead of saying, no, wait, look at all of 
history and look at, you know, all of the people who are not intersex, who are just born with one um, genitalia, set of set of organs. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, Tell you, this is going to be a show Um, and saying that this is actually proof that this is the way biology is supposed to um, be displayed or worked out in regards to sex and gender. Yeah. What is being said is that because intersex individuals, even though they are extremely rare because they exist, gender is now on a, on a spectrum. You can choose. It's not fluid. I mean, it's not stagnant. It's fluid. So what people have to understand here is this difference between sex and gender. This is the first step in the, in the argument that they make is that sex and gender are two different things. They, they pull those two things apart. They decouple them. So sex is what you're born with. When you're born, the doctor says it's a boy or it's a girl, but then gender is what you identify with in your mind Mm -hmm. and in your soul, in your feelings. Okay. Now intersex people are, are this small group of people that have aspects of both sets of organs. So then what they do with that, the transgender queer theory people, is they say, this is a third sex, the intersex people. And that means that then that gender can be, or sex can be on a continuum. So can gender also Mm -hmm. be on a continuum. And I think this is deeply problematic, but this is sort of how they argue. Um, go back to that for a second. We love that picture, though. Okay, we'll just wait a second. No, stay on that one. Yeah, I just wanted to finish reading it real quick. Okay, here we go. Not everyone needs to be directly assignable to one or the other sex in order for biological sex to be functionally binary. Binary just means male, female. Mm -hmm. There's two options. To assume otherwise, to confuse secondary sexual traits with biological sex is a category error. And this is extremely important because the category is sex, male, female, small percentage of intersex people. Mm -hmm. Those are the categories. But then they use that to start talking about gender being on a spectrum. That's a category error. Wait, we were talking about biology. We were talking about sex. Mm -hmm. Now then you shifted. The shell game is we're going to shift. Now we're talking about Gender. gender, which you have said is in the mind. It's a mind construct. So I think... This person, th- these authors are right on. And I've said this before, but this is the first time I'm seeing it like in print in a mainstream thing, not a Christian publication. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's go, go on. Next, let's go on to the next one. That's oh, all right. We'll just go to the, the next one. Do you need to go back to us first? Hey, y'all. <laughs> so Annette said, nobody decided that I was a boy because I like playing football at recess and didn't like wearing dresses. Amen. And that I played football. I ran track. I tried basketball. Wasn't that good at it. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed playing with the boys at recess much more than I played with the girls. I didn't want to go on the monkey bars. I didn't enjoy that. I really wanted to go play football at recess. Played tetherball, all yeah. the good things. And I didn't yeah. enjoy wearing dresses, although my mother... 
did raise me right. And I do know how to put on a dress and get dressed up, but I, it's not my favorite. <laughs> oh no. But see now. Yeah. And, and I, I, so I think about things like this, like if someone, when I was in fourth grade, when I was fighting boys and wrestling and doing all of these crazy things that I think is crazy now. Yeah. But if someone as a child would have shown me a video that said, hey, you're like this or you. Maybe you're really yeah. a boy in your head. Mm -hmm. Even though you are by sex a girl in reality, in your mind and in your heart, you're probably a boy. You're very masculine. You're a tomboy. You know, like if I would have heard all those terms, I don't know how I would have, you know, turned out today. Well, and then when people start speaking that stuff over you and mm -hmm. then it starts planting ideas in your mind, you're like, well, maybe that is how I am. Yeah. Ma maybe I am the wrong sex. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe God made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And then people start coming into agreement with that and it it kind of plants some seeds yes. in your soul, in your mind of doubt. And mm -hmm. what could this be? I mean, I don't know. Now you would never think that I was ever a tomboy because I dance and I like high heels and makeup yes, and does. all kinds of things. Yes, very, very high. high. The higher, the better. The closer <laughs> to Jesus. Um, but it's true. Like if if that vein of thought would have been planted and repeated. Yeah. I don't know if that was where part I of the, been part of the cultural narrative. Yeah. That would have been so damaging to me mm -hmm. as a child. All right, let's go on to the, are you ready for the next one? All right, cool. Uh, the most vulnerable to sex denialism are children. This is exactly yes. what we're saying. This idea of if you deny the biology and I like that they have a term here of sex denialism. When they're taught that sex is grounded in identity instead of biology, sex categories can easily become conflated with regressive stereotypes of masculinity and femininity. Mm -hmm. Masculine girls and feminine boys may be confused about their own sex. I mean, this is exactly what you were just yeah. saying. If you're a tomboy, this becomes extremely confusing. Mm -hmm. And even the term tomboy, like, why can't I just be a girl who likes is, football, likes football? I'm just physically active more maybe than the girl next to me. And that's OK. And why does a boy who perhaps likes to dance have to be considered feminine? And yeah. Like, why do we categorize these things as that and then put people in those groupings? I've danced for a long time and I've seen straight guys who dance and dance and dance but then somewhere along the line they get this this title oh you know he's like that or you know uh he's a little Neh, because because they dance and it's like no not at all i think there is some truth to the idea that some aspects of gender are a social construct mm -hmm. you know like i raised two kid two girls and they m much preferred i don't know the quote unquote masculine things like watching Star Wars with their dad and, um, you know, dinosaurs and, and other things. When, when they, the youth would have a laser tag activity for the boys at church, my, my girls always wanted to go to that. And then they would have tea parties for the girls. They're like, tea party's okay, but I'd rather go to the, who wants tea? <laughs> I'd rather go to the know? laser tag thing. But that doesn't make them masculine yeah like, it means that they just have different preferences preferences or ideas of what is fun or yeah but that doesn't necessarily but 
but when we get in these categories, it's almost like queer theory regiments these these things even more mm-hmm. that well now we're going to label that this is a girl yeah. activity this is a boy activity all right let's go back to the graphic there for a minute the dramatic rise of gender dysphoric adolescents especially young girls in clinics likely reflects this new cultural confusion and i'm getting these letters all the time now from parents that this is on the rise mm-hmm. and um i, I mean it's hard enough yeah. Being a teenager. Let's just be clear. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard enough. And now you're introducing all of these new terms. You're getting started on the idea of your identity and your sexuality and all of that at a much younger age now. I'm just like, what in the world in a few years are what are what's gonna be happening with our teenagers? Yeah. With all that's being thrown at them now. All right, let's I can see how blurry it is on the screen. That's yeah. highly unpleasant. All right. Let's go on to the next uh, the next quote here. You want to read this one? Yeah. The large majority of gender dysphoric youths eventually outgrow their feelings of dysphoria during puberty, and many end up identifying as homosexual adults. Affirmation therapies, which insist a child's cross-sex identity, should never be questioned, and puberty-blocking drugs advertised as a way for children to buy time to sort out their identities may only solidify feelings of dysphoria, setting them on a pathway to more invasive medical interventions and permanent infertility. I think this is such an important point because this affirmation strategy that our culture is now engaged in is like, it's bigotry if we try to tell someone, look, science says you're a boy or you're a girl and we're not allowed to talk about that. What damage does that do to their soul? Mm-hmm. But more importantly, we're engaging in like extreme medical treatments with younger and younger children that are going to put them on a pathway to very difficult, lifelong impacting changes well not, and yes that and it removes the parent from being able to say hey no let's have a conversation about yeah, this yeah. because that is seen as oppressive there's a country in europe maybe it's france where girls can have sex have abortions and all of this and never have to disclose anything to their parents. And I wonder how much of this sexual revolution that's now taking place among young people in, or a revolution of conversation that's taking place in culture right now is going to soon be on the scene here in the States where it's like, I can't have this conversation with my kid because that's oppressive. And that makes me his oppressor. I definitely can't have this conversation with my kid because we're Christian. And if you're a Christian, that's automatically an oppressive situation. That's, that's a mess. So people, uh, if you missed my video from a couple of weeks ago about children being an oppressed people group, that, that ties right into this conversation because as critical theory takes hold in our culture, as the dominant worldview Children are looked upon as being an oppressed class. And if you have Christian parents, if you have Christian white parents, um, they are the ultimate oppressors. Our friend Cynthia Hampton says some girls are just naturally more active and athletic. Absolutely. Um, my kids were that way. I was that way. That doesn't mean that you're, you're automatically masculine yeah. or that you should be a boy. 
Uh, our friend Nikki is logging in from Jacksonville. Glad to see you here, Nikki. Um, okay, we got we oh, got sorry. one more uh, quote here to read through from the Wall Street Journal article. That was the last one. That was the last one? Oh, I thought there were four. Okay. Okay, cool. All right, we did them all. Yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> but talking about children and... Yeah. What are the terms we should be using? Yeah. So Because we want to start our kids out on the right track. Yeah. I've kind of made some shifts in my thinking on this in recent... Um, really, just even in the last, like, six months... Um, I used to be more sympathetic to the idea of using gender and sex and separating them, but I've kind of changed my mind about that because I think that when I looked into the history of the word gender, it was primarily a word, almost exclusively a word that was used in languages, like in Spanish, there's masculine and female words you know, law and L and the same in Greek, you know, there's, there's, but those, those masculine and feminine gendered words don't have anything a lot of times to do with the words themselves. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that there's something inherent about the object that is masculine or feminine. Now, sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not true. But from what I understand, gender was started to be introduced in like the sixties and seventies as part of the feminist movement that then sex and gender became pulled apart and gender was taken from the language realm and imported into feminist theory. And it became um, a, a different term. And now the word gender has come to mean kind of what I believe in my mind or my soul or myself, I self identify as, and sex is is my biology, and I was realizing that by using those term the term gender, I was actually buying into the worldly system of thought hmm. of critical theory. And so I've stopped actually using that word that of decoupling sex and gender. There's boys and girls. Yeah, these are the options available. We can have a separate conversation about the intersex people. That's a little more complicated. Most of them choose one or the other sex to identify with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's its own special category. But in general, identifying a boy is very easy. Identifying a girl is very easy. Now within that, I've always encouraged my girls to be the person that God's created them to be. However, that expresses itself, but you're a girl. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you gotta, to, to know that about yourself, you're going to, grow up and, you know, potentially be a mom. That's the equipment you have. <laughs> so, There's that. you know, um, all right, let's uh, go back to the comments here. Yes. I'm just reading it now. Hannah Marie says, could you touch on where in the Bible traditional Christian gender roles are found and how, or if they are still applicable today, i.e. men are the head of the house and are the authority figures. Yeah, and Theo asks a similar question. Does the Bible talk about sex differences? I'm going to kind of talk Theo's question first, and then I'll uh, maybe we can talk about Hannah's question. To me, when I look at Scripture, the answer is really easy. In the beginning, God made male and female. Like, those are the options. <laughs> he, he made 
some people with male parts and some people with female parts and they're not interchangeable. Um, and so from a historic Christian worldview, we are a, a binary worldview, you know, and, and science, I would say, agrees with that. And again, intersex is a very small group of people um, that deserves its own special conversation. But in general, um, we're looking at male and female. So I think that those are, as Christians, as historic Christians, that's how we talk about sex differences. Um, now, going back to Hannah's question um, about traditional Christian gender roles, I think that I would, um, it, my thinking is still developing about this, just to be t completely candid. Um, I've gone from being a complementarian to being an egalitarian, and now I don't know what I am. And here's why. Um, I think that men and women have equality before God. They both have equal dignity, value, and worth. Both are created in his image. Both fell in the fall. But I'm not comfortable with saying that men and women are interchangeable with each other. I don't think that being a man or being a woman is 100% about your biology in the sense that that's all that there is. I think the biology is a necessary condition. It helps us identify who's a boy and who's a girl. But I think that there's more to being a male and a female than just the biology. That there's something about femaleness that's in the metaphysical realm, that there's maybe it's in the soulish realm. I don't know. But that there's something about maleness and femaleness that makes us different. I don't think that two parents are interchangeable with each other. There's just differences. And God has made men and women different. And so what I'm not comfortable with in the egalitarian stream of Christianity right now is it seems like it's really drifting into feminist theory and making men and women almost interchangeable mm -hmm. and that there's no metaphysical difference between the two. Yes. That makes me feel uneasy. And I've really throttled back on recommending egalitarian Christian websites and resources for that reason. But I'm still thinking that through. I don't know if I could give you a really hard and fast definition of what I think that immaterial component is of maleness or femaleness, because I don't know if I'm ready to commit that it's a certain, it's, it's a task that men do this and women do this. And that's what makes them male and female. That is the typical way that it's talked about. Women stay home, mm -hmm. men go and work. I'm not persuaded that that is a, the biblical way of thinking about it. But my thinking is still evolving, evolving and developing on that issue. So I don't know if that helps. Do you have any mm. thoughts about that? Mm. I, for a long time, um, felt like, you know, anything I can do, I can do too. But I was also raised like that. 
And so that was kind of just the the background noise in my head. Um, but I don't I don't be- know that I believe that anymore. Um, not to say that women can't rise to the occasion and do anything that a male does. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there are certain things <laughs> that men can't do and you know, things like that. Like but, men can't yeah, have babies yes. and women can't be fathers. Like there's that, you know, I mean, so, th- and even in culture right now, I think they'd say, well, yes, they can, you know? So I feel like even that is shifting and changing according to the culture's definition. Yeah. But as a Christian, as, yeah, like as, no. I just don't see in God's system, like hierarchies just seem to be part of how God has set up the universe. Um, now I think that I'm not one of these women who's like smash the patriarchy. Like I don't, my goal is not to smash all men. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, and I hope we can do a show soon on the whole, what's happening to men right now, because I just think some of it is really sad, but I'm not about the whole, like, let's just smash all gender roles and, and, and all everything that makes us different from each other. I I don't think that's the way to go. Yeah, no, I don't either. And I also think that um, my shift, my thought process has actually shifted a lot to, to understand that there are some things that are just intrinsically different male and female. But again, like how and why and all the little nuance pieces, I can't really, I can't speak to yet. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the questions here. We were getting some good interaction, um, mostly about the streaming. Okay. All right. People are still talking about the streaming. All right. If anyone has any comments about what we're talking about, that's good. I don't know. (laughs) So um, I think another big question that I'm getting with some increasing frequency is this question about pronouns Mm -hmm. that was mentioned in the video clip that we played should Christians use people's preferred pronouns? What are your yes. thoughts about that? Oh, I don't know. Because, I mean, on one hand, it's like, what if that's my job on the line? You know? Well, and some and, jobs are doing trainings now where they train you on how to use the right pro- pronouns for people and transgender sensitivity and yeah, all of this. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to get fired. Yeah. You know, and I have to support my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the same time, as a Christian, I know that I'm called to be counter to the culture. Like, I don't I don't just go along with everything that culture does. I go along with what scripture says and how God would have us do things. And so I I am stuck because, you know, I we were talking earlier and you were like, you know, there are two views and I'm sure you'll talk about this in a minute, but one of those views is that we are hospitable toward others. And so in that vein, use those terms. And I don't know. I don't know that that's. So Tracy, help me out. Tracy says the pronouns are confusing to me. So if you go on Twitter, you'll see this now, if people are on that spectrum of transgender issues, they will put right in their Twitter profile, what their preferred pronouns are. Oh, no, people do that. Not even on Twitter. I get emails at work all the time oh, really? from university interns, people who want to intern um, at at my work and or from professors wondering if their kids can intern, their students can intern. And it is he, him, his. 
Yeah. Or, you know, she, her, hers. Or, or them. She, yeah. Is a frequent one, which kind of defies grammar rules, but that's out there with increasing but uh, I, frequency. I mean, this is in a professional world where it is one professional to another. You're a student, you know, students are students, and, you know, they there's a, a different level, I would say, of um, even understanding of, you know, what is acceptable or, acceptable or what has been acceptable as far as profes- professionalism. When I first entered into the workforce, I just don't think that we would have done things like that. But culture shifts. But, like, these are doctors who are emailing me. Yeah. And, you know, they use their pronouns. So what it is referring to is if the person self-identifies in a certain way, you're supposed to use their preferred pronouns to refer to them. And I kind of, it's, there seem to be sort of two Christian views that, that I can tell. Like, um, view number one is, well, I guess there's three if you count, like the, the acceptance view. But view number one is just say no. Just say no to the culture. Just say no to this. Like, we have to draw a line in the sand I'm not using someone's preferred pronouns if it denies their biology. Like, I'm not going to deny science. You know, that's sort of the first thing. Christians are not going to keep going along with this. And even if I lose my job, then so be it. That's kind of position number one. Position number two that I'm hearing some evangelicals put forward is what I call the hospitality argument. That I want to give grace and deference to somebody who's experiencing gender dysphoria because they're confused. And I want to engage them in a conversation about the Lord and, and present the gospel to them so that they can come to a place of freedom and wholeness in Christ and that they will get transformed and saved and all of those things. And then kind of the third view would just be, we need to accept everyone. And if somebody wants to use you to use their particular pronouns, you accept the person as trans and you go along with it. So those are kind of the different approaches right now. And I'm, I can, I have some sympathies with both of the first views of the just say no view and the hospitality view. Like I can kind of see both sides of that. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reaching my saturation point with these, these things. There's, there's a part of me that's just like, I think we just need to start saying no. Mm -hmm. And reap whatever consequences happen. Yeah, and and I have to I'm pay like, my mortgage. That's, that's my job, though. Like, yeah, can we talk about the money? Yeah, but and what about trusting the Lord? What about standing for the Lord? Is that a is that a compromise of the faith? And am I just trusting in my own understanding and in in the natural my natural ability to earn my living? And I'm not going to trust the Lord's going to provide for me and my family. I mean. I think there's something to be said for that side of the argument. No, I, and I can hear you. And I also think that the reality is that people still need to pay their bills. Yeah. And so I'm not saying, you know, go along with, I'm not saying either position. What I am saying is that it is a concern though, to say, you know, as Christians, we have to stand like this and forgo the rest you know, I think there is something definitely to trusting the Lord and making sure that we are, you know, not conforming the culture, yeah. you know, at the same time. 
So I don't know. All right, let's go back to the comments here. Uh, our friend Laura says the pronouns issue has me afraid to call anyone he or she if I don't know them. I see some young people in their Instagram bios listing preferred pronouns. Theo says, I think we need to find some middle ground between egalitarian and complementarian paradigm. I agree, Theo. <laughs> I'm working on trying to get a guest on the show um, to talk about that issue. There's got to be a third way because to me, um, both of these positions are um, have problems. Uh, our friend Susanna says, I grew up in a household with strict gender roles as though it was synonymous with being the only Christian way. And I, I think that that's a whole important conversation to have because in, in my family, um, <laughs> we've had some fairly non-traditional situations. Um, you know, there's been a time where I was a stay-at-home parent. Then there's been a season where my husband's been the stay-at-home parent. There's been a, a season where my husband worked full-time. And then there's been a season where I've worked full-time. Um, you know, it, it's, it, but just because we've engaged in different tasks, and this is where I'm, I'm hesitant to assign gender meaning to tasks. But that's not to say that me and my husband are interchangeable. Like our children relate to us differently. I will never be their father and he will never be their mother. Mm -hmm. And the, there's something metaphysical or ontological that's different about us. It's not merely biology. Yes. But it's, it's not so flexible that it can just be anything you want. So it's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, I think Jesse is responding yeah. to your question. All right. I was asking you for some clarification. You talk about God by saying it's not this or that because you cannot positively pinpoint with language who what God is. You can get close, but not quite. He said that talking about gender is similar. I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not completely sure I know what you mean, but I don't know if that's related to the whole, like, can we call God she question I don't know, because the father has revealed himself as a father. So there must be something in, intrinsic to fatherhood mm -hmm. that God wants us to know about who he is. He didn't reveal himself as a mother. He revealed himself as a father. Now, there are a few situations in scripture where God compares himself to a woman. There's a parable um, in, in Jesus's, uh, one of Jesus's parables seems to compare the father, his, his ability to search for us as a widow searches for a lost coin. But these are all analogies of, of, of how God is. There's one in the old Testament about God gathering his people as a mother hen gathers her, her chickens. Yeah. Wisdom is define as, as a woman as Sophia, but, but that's a good example, Bob, of what I was talking about earlier about gender and language. It doesn't necessarily mean that wisdom is female. It just means that in the Greek language, it's in the female gender. So that doesn't necessarily translate to wisdom being compared to a female, but I think it's instructive that even in the Lord's prayer, the first thing Jesus says is our father art in heaven. Mm -hmm. God is revealing himself as a father, not a mother or not something else. Jesus comes as a man. He has male body parts. Jesus is a man. So I'm not totally down with the whole 
flexibility about God's gender. Um, I think there's something to be said for maleness there. Amanda says that her daughter told her that even gender words in certain languages, like L and La in Spanish, are being changed because binary gender, even in language, could be found offensive. Oh, wow. That is crazy. And I had no idea about too. that. Yes. Um, Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy. Um, he says, how come more women are outraged about trans women invading women, women's and girls' spaces? I've heard Jermaine Greer in the UK discuss this, not so much here in America. Well, what are there, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm wondering if what Jeremy means is, is how come more women aren't outraged? I don't know. But um, if you go, if you search on Google for Martina Navratilova, she wrote a blog post a year or two ago about this issue. And for those of you who are on the younger age spectrum, you might not know who she is, but she was an amazing tennis player in the 80s and is probably one of the, the winningest women's tennis players. And she was also a very public lesbian in the 80s, <laughs> which when it was not popular to be out as a lesbian. Um, but she wrote a very thoughtful piece about a year ago about the problem of men coming into women's sports under the banner of being trans. Because that's what a trans woman is. Yeah. A woman identifying herself. As a man. As, as, as a man, a man. I'm sorry, identifying himself as, as, as a, a woman. And, so now. Yeah. And how it has over. the potential to basically ruin women's sports. Boy, she took the heat, but she's like, look, I'm a lesbian. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I'm a progressive. But you have to see that this is going to damage women's sports. But it's it we're still kind of afraid to have that conversation. She's really, I think, the most high profile person that I've seen talk about that. Okay, yeah, very good. Um, but I think that's that's important to talk about too when you have men or boys coming into women's sports. What does that do to the sport? Yeah. What yeah. does that do to the girls, the biologically, you know, like. Well, I've women. heard of many what? girls are getting discouraged with yeah. sports. They're like, what's the point? And they're just dropping out because they can't compete. Mm-hmm. Um, Annette says, I used to be to lean more toward view number one. I think the earlier the view of just say no mm-hmm. to using people's pronouns. But my daughter convinced me there's no point in purposefully being mean to them. Um, I mainly just don't use pronouns if I don't know. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah. that's, I, I'm sympathetic with the hospitality view for that very reason. So that's good. But I don't know that if I choose not to use someone's personal pronouns, I'm being mean. Yeah. I think I can just have a stand for something different. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's it's a tough issue. Yeah, it is. Um, Tracy asks, would it be okay to politely ask a person what their preferred pronouns are? Uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's a thing yeah. it, that you're supposed to ask. Mm-hmm. What are your pronouns? Um, Amanda says, yes, teens in Argentina are leading the charge in gender neutral language, removing sexism from Spanish. Wow. I had no idea. Um, yes. I don't know if that'll be happening in Greek or Latin, <laughs> the dead languages. Okay. All right. So let's go on to our. Um, next so, kind of example, if you want. Yes. All right. Now I love cartoons. I know. Yes, I do. Monique's our girl. I do. I love cartoons. 
And Disney is coming out with a new cartoon called Onward. Yes. And in this movie, there is an openly lesbian character. Now, this character is only in like one scene. It's very quick. It's very quick. Um, but to the actual it, character, it's not just in the background no, or something like that. it's not like, like two people, like in um, what, Finding Dory, it was the two ladies walking the stroller. And yeah. People were like, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, whatever. Yeah. Um, this this character, because I think they're like an alien or some kind of sci-fi character or something Yeah, I think like we have a picture here of um, um, Onward introduces the first LGBTQ character in Disney animation history. And... There she is. She's the a cyclops. Mm-hmm. Yes. The one on the on the, the right, right there. So she, from what I understand, she pulls over these two brothers and it's the story of these brothers and their adventure. And she's having a conversation with them. Somewhere along the line, she goes, yeah, my girlfriend feels the same. And that's it. That's it. That That's it. Um, then there's she goes off, does her thing. There's no more from her in the movie. And there's no more talk of lesbianism or homosexuality in the movie. I hear it's all really quick. Um, But this is seen as such a huge step for Disney because there has been a lot of push for them to have an openly gay character. And the actress who's the voice actress. Lena Waite. Yeah. Yeah. Which you say is a famous person. Mm -hmm. She is. I've never heard of her. She is very famous. Um, I don't and know she's these openly things. gay. Okay. So, you know, there's that. Um, but there's just been a lot of push yeah. from, you know, the last, gosh, five, maybe more years for Disney to produce something that had an openly gay character, especially like in the Finding Dory movies where, um, what's her name? Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen, De- Ellen DeGeneres, who is openly gay, was, you know, the star of that movie. Right. And so they were thinking, oh, well, with Ellen, of course, of course, of course, push, push, push. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen until now. But this really shouldn't surprise us because a few weeks ago we had our friend Sam Lively here. Yes. And we talked about how Disney is in, their writers are incorporating critical theory, which in this case would be queer theory, into their films more and more. So we ought to expect this to happen. And I guess this is a good time to just sort of plug that that show. Uh, people can go check out our interview yeah. with Sam Lively yeah. um, in the archives. Uh, the Power of Storytelling was back uh, earlier in the year. But we had a great conversation. And one of the big themes that we hit toward the end of the interview was how critical theory ideas are actively being incorporated by Disney writers into their films. Mm-hmm. And it's being normalized. And the more it's normalized, the more we be- become desensitized to it because it's just the norm. Like this is just what we see. That is such an important point. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that is the big kind of macro scheme in all of this is the normalization mm-hmm. The idea of it is so that it's so out there everywhere we go, we're just supposed to accept that this is reality. This is how things are. It kind of wears us down. And then after a while, we just hardly even notice it anymore. It's it's so normal. It's like an indoctrination. Yeah. You know, but okay. So I do have a question um, because Onward is going to be a kid's movie. I know a lot of our viewers have kids. I am not a parent, so maybe I shouldn't be speaking into this. So I'm going to ask you. Um, 
what do parents do? Like, is this something where, you know, it's probably, a, I'd say between two and five minutes, this character's yeah. on the scene. It's one sentence. Is that something where you say, okay, Disney's taking this stand. And let's be real. This is, this is the first of many, you know, openly gay characters yeah. at Disney. That's just, to me, that's just fact. Um I could be wrong, but I don't see it shifting. Do parents say, no, we're not going to go see this movie? Um, Or is it, you know, we're going to go see this movie and we'll explain. Or third option, my kids are young. They're not going to even, you know. They might not even notice. They're not going to notice. Yeah. I don't know. I I used to have kind of a view of, of this is sort of a minor thing, you know, why draw attention to it, you know. But again, I'm, I'm. I'm, my mind is kind of changing about that. I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm, I, I keep telling my husband, like, we're just going to say no to that. We're just going to say no. Let's just say no. And because it's just, it feels like the push is so hard. And how do I instruct children to say no to things that it's going to get more and more? Like, this isn't a problem that's going to go away. It's going to get more and more in their face and more and more normalized. I have to teach them to say no mm-hmm. um, for the sake of my grandchildren. Yes. So h- h- how do I parent for the sake of my grandchildren so that my kids will know proper boundaries? That's to me is the real struggle in, in my mind. So well, I think it's, it's definitely about boundaries. I think it's about the power of using our voice there's so many Christians. Like, what if we chose to, you know, not see this movie and watch something different? What if we sent our thoughts about this movie as feedback in the form of not spending our money there? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't see this narrative in culture shifting and people saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. Especially if we just kind of go along with the narrative. Like, oh, well, it's not that bad. Oh, well, it was only this. Oh, it's kind of like just biting off of little pieces. Yeah. And making little tiny excuses until the door and the floodgates are completely open and everything's okay. At some point, we're, we've got to be like, you know, not today. Yeah. Um. So another thing that came up for me this week is that I released a new video. Um, it was the uh, Sam Alberry and Living Out video. So if people miss that, uh, I want to encourage you to go check that out. I spent several months researching this issue. Sam Alberry is a, a very a conference speaker who's growing in popularity. He's being platformed by RZIM, the Gospel Coalition, and, and others. And um, so I put together a pretty in-depth uh, research video, explainer video on his theology and a few kind of problematic articles that I noticed on his ministry website. And I got some good feedback on the video, but one very astute viewer brought it to my attention that there had been a little change. And um, I went on the living out, or first I went on Google and I Googled uh, Sam Alberry's name and living out. And I got this image where it says he's still listed is on the Google cache. Li- living out is edited and contributed to by Ed Shaw, Sam Alberry, and Sean Doherty. So then I went to the living out website 
on who we are. And Sam Alberry is no longer listed there. Hmm. And so it, ha- it must be pretty recent because the Google cache still has his name on, on it, on the search engine, on the preview. But he is no longer listed on the website. So I did want to make sure that I made that careful correction. And I knew there would be updates to this video. Um, so the the videos itself still stands. I still have the same concerns about the Living Out website. But I'm very um, hopeful that maybe Sam has distanced himself from Living Out. And maybe um, that is attributable to um, some of the, the him rethinking his position, which he seems to have been doing. So I want to encourage people to go check out my video. Um, let's go back to the comments here. Jeremy, Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy says there will be a gay relationship in Marvel's the Eternals later this year. Oh, that'll be interesting. Okay. So it's going to, this is what I'm saying earlier It's coming and it's yeah. going to get bigger and bigger. This is not a problem. that's going to go away. No. So, so how do you train our kids? Yeah. You know, this is, these are the questions that we need to be having. And how do pastors train and talk to their congregants about these things that we're seeing well, in culture? Speaking that's, of that, yeah, that's something <laughs> that we need to be talking about too. Yeah. I mean, this week in Christianity Today, there was this article on um, polyamory. That came out. No, see, I didn't even know what this word was. Oh, no. I Let's knew, be clear. I've been saying I've, for a few years, this is the next big thing. I had no, I was and, like, Polly, what? I know, but I, I've been saying this for at least four years, that polyamory will be the next frontier after gay marriage. And here it is in Christianity Today, Preston Sprinkle and a co-author, Pastor's Next Sexual Frontier. The the polyamory relationship where you have um, was called a thruple. It's three people in a couple. A three couple. Now, okay. Now, before we get too deep with this, we have truly been. I think the media and TV has been conditioning us. Yeah. For this. For years. Yes. Do you remember? Um, there is there was a show that I would watch when I was little. It was like three Three's Company. Three's Company. Three's Company. That's the seventies or eighties. I don't know what that was. Yeah. I don't it was definitely before I was born, let's be real. Yeah. But I when I was thinking, when I was getting ready for the show, it hit me like, oh, I wonder if the social conditioning there was social conditioning even then toward the acceptance and maybe I'm maybe I'm a little far off but the social conditioning for the idea that thruples would be okay because I don't know what the main guy character's name was but he would always like be after the girls and (laughs) there were like these little sexual innuendos and things like that and it was all done in humor I wasn't allowed to watch that show I don't know anything about that my mother was more liberal than yours (laughs) So that's okay. My mother's probably watching the show right now. (laughs) But, you know, there's this idea, even in that show, that this is okay. And that's not to say that, you know, you can't have roommates and, you know, all of that. But I was wondering, I wonder if this was some kind of beginning. Like they were just hinting around at the mm -hmm. sexual innuendos. Well, in fact, speaking of the social conditioning, I mean, the show House Hunters last week had an episode 
with a thruple. Yes. Looking for a house together. In fact, we have that here. This is in the Country Living magazine. Like this is this is a magazine for white women who like to dream about their their future homes. And I'm like, really? Yeah, because I'm sure I ain't never seen. Yeah, House living. Hunters featured his first ever ever thruple and is blowing people's minds. So we can scroll down here a little bit. Here they are going through the kitchen cabinets looking for a, a, a home. And in fact, one of their, they always have on the house hunters, they always have a checklist of the things that the couple must have their must have list. Their must have list was get this a master bathroom with three sinks. Like where are you going to get this? Like what is the, and so is that going to be like a new uh, building um, building feature built to accommodate a thruple? Like I, I could just imagine this, but apparently, uh, you know, the, the big question I had on this Sorry, week for me, it was why, why not polyamory? Like, why not that? Because we've already redefined marriage mm-hmm. so that it's as long it has marriage in our couple, in our culture now consists of two elements, consent and adults. That's it. Mm-hmm. Consent and adults. So why not polyamory? We've already redefined it for same-sex couples. We've redefined the boundaries to being consenting and adults. So polyamory to me just makes complete sense. And in fact, if we go back to the Christianity Today piece for a minute, if we scroll down a little bit, this was this is troubling. Go down a little bit more. Little more. Oh, the stats. The stats. Oh no, no, too far. Right there. Right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so look at this. A recent study published in a peer-reviewed journal found that twenty percent of Americans have been in a consensual, non-monogamous relationship at least once in their life. So, in other words, it's not it's not cheating because it's consensual. If if you know about it, yes, if, and, it's called open. Yes. It's an, we're in an an, open another survey showed that nearly 70 percent of non-religious Americans between the ages of 24 and 35 believe polyamory is OK. 70 percent. This is coming to a church near you. Look at this. Look at this statistic. 24 percent. Yeah. Make it big because I want people to see this. Oh, folks, I think she's about to 24 percent of church going people, church going people believe that consensual polyamorous relationships are morally permissible. We have lost our minds. That's one in four of church going people. Mm -hmm. This is coming to the church near you. Yes. And what are past to be ready? If your progressive church has already taken in and adopted the idea of gay marriage and LGBTQ people and normalized them, it's it's not a sin. Polyamory is not that far beyond. How long until Jen Hatmaker comes out with a podcast and calls these these relationships holy? I want to predict. You want to start a betting pool? I'm, I'm not a betting woman, but it's coming. It is coming, it is coming, it is coming. I think it's already here. Um, but back to my question. <laughs> pastors. Pastors. When are the pastors going to be equipped? And 
starting the conversations. Why? When of, are we gonna stop being happening? afraid? Yes. When are we gonna stop being afraid? When? Are, where are the pastors with the prophetic voice to stand up in the pulpit and say, "Here's what marriage is," like seriously? Mm-hmm. And and why are we tiptoeing around on? Our definitions of marriage. Like, where is that conversation? If you have 24% of people in your church who think that polyamory is probably okay, you have not been teaching the word and people are not clear. And I never thought I would live to see the day where I have more in common with John MacArthur theologically than I do with Beth Moore. And here is the cultural moment that we are in. It's really too much. Let me fan you. You say a little... (laughs) Y'all see, I don't know. I, I'm, I feel threatened. I don't know. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm just upset. Where's but the I, education? Well, I think, one, going back to an old, old interview, now almost probably a year ago, eight months ago, with Mike Mike. <laughs> uh, Mike Gurney, Dr. Mike Gurney up at Pul- at Multnomah. Yeah. Um, I kind of confused Multnomah with Point Loma. Um, <laughs> if pastors aren't going to seminary. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe going to seminary still don't help you, but at at some point you should be taught. How do we have conversations from the pulpit with our congregants about the things that are happening in current culture? Because if you're not having those conversations, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Why are we teaching the word? Isn't the word like to equip us for life? Like I, I, but but now I'm going out into culture and I'm supposed to be equipped, but I'm not. Getting... But I'm watching HGTV where they have a thruple. Well, what do you How do, do I think with about it? Thruple? Yeah. How do I think about it? We don't talk it? about this in church. We don't talk about this from the pulpit. We don't talk about what's this. Is, this is really what's happening. This is my biggest, biggest complaint regarding. And I, y'all pray for me because I don't mean to be so hard on the church, but. When it comes down to critical race theory, I'm like, do we know what's happening in culture? And it and people are coming in to the church and we aren't saying, hey, when you go out, you can be damaged because of this. Or let's talk about queer theory. Hey, this is what's being taught in in your kids public school. That's damaging to your child's identity. How do we work with that? Yeah. But those words aren't coming out of the preacher's mouths in the pulpit. And so now we're just bringing the flock in and sending them out. Yeah. We sang some songs. We And it was great. We shook some hands. Oh, I don't like that part of church either. But, you know, (laughs) everybody is just leaving all hunky dory. And what have you received in your mind and in your soul to be equipped with going out into culture? Yeah. I can't even. To make sense of it. I can't even. Okay. So uh, we got some comments here. Um, Saved by Grace says, we're living in the latter days. There's a deep agenda here. It's not going to get any better. Nothing new under the sun. I agree. I do think that there is a, on the macro level, you know, there, there is a definitely a supernatural agenda. I, I, Here's the thing. You said something a few minutes ago about how damaging this is to people's souls. And I want to say a word about that because I think that is such an important point. We're not here to say like what we're against. We're here to say like what we're for. We want people to live the way that God created them to live. And 
so that God's, your soul can thrive. Yes. And that God's best for you is to follow his laws. He's created us. He knows what's best for us. He hasn't set down these laws to just be this oppressive ruler. He's, he's, he's set up a system to help us thrive. And so if we want to thrive in the creation, we should follow his laws. And so that is where our heart is coming from is that we want what is best for people. We want people to thrive. We want people to live the way that they were designed to live. But this sort of sexual chaos is not how we were designed to live. And that is what you hear in the passion in our voice is that we want people to live and to flourish in the world the way that God has made them to live. So, and just in case people think that this isn't coming to their church, right after I posted that Christianity Today article, a friend uh, in the apologetics world uh, private messaged me that this very thruple thing happened at a church in her town. It wasn't at her church, but in her town. It's a non-denominational evangelical church. And um, three of the pastors on the staff got together and created a thruple and, and wanted to engage in polyamory. And when it was found out, they, they didn't, they wouldn't disband. Let's put it that way. They wouldn't repent. And so here in my mind, I'm thinking, what happened that, that you had three people on your church staff that were willing to even go down this road? So <laughs> Susanna says, tell us how you really feel, Krista. Oh, I'm just, I'm getting the preach on tonight. So YouTube is throttling this channel right now not allowing me to, to watch or anyone else. I don't know. I think we might be being censored by the YouTube people. <laughs> There's that. I mean, and in reality, this could be considered, I guess, oppressive speech. Yeah. So Amanda says open relationships are different. Yes, Amanda, they are. Polyamory is multiple people in the same relationship. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. some level of commitment there. Um, open is one or both partners are consensual with another individual. <laughs> Laura's telling you to fan me. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Annette says, no church I would attend would go there. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't hold out much hope. I, I really want to do a video about the dangers of going to a non-denominational church. I might do that video very soon. Because if you're going to a non-denominational church, I really don't know what guardrails are in place to protect you. Um, okay. Amanda says most pastors are trying to reasonably reasonably keep up with culture. How many of us just found out about polyamory this week? Well, those are my followers. They've known, they've known about it. I've been writing about it for years. <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah. I, I think she brings up a good point yeah. that most pastors are, you know, trying to keep up with culture. And I still hold to the idea that there are many pastors out there that won't address this. Yeah. You know? All right, we got one more thing. We got the tweet of the week, and then we're going to sign off. So let's go to the tweet of the week. All 
exciting. It's that time again. And I thought this was a great wrap up to all of our conversation. Uh, I've got the tweet from Mike Winger. He is a big YouTuber. I can only um, aspire to be as big as Mike Winger. Uh, We have similar styles, but he's way bigger than me. He says, being a Christian is going to require disagreeing with mainstream cultural norms. It's best we come to terms with this. And it's healthy when we also realize we don't need to convince the people around us that we are right in order to be justified in holding to what God has said. That is a Mm. true and prophetic word. And I thought it was a perfect way to round out this show. Um, Our culture is changing what is normal. And they are trying to normalize things that are abnormal. We as Christians are going to have to get clear about what the Bible says about sex and marriage and figure out how we are going to talk about these things with our kids, what kind of stand we're going to take, what we're going to say no to, you know, the old um, anti-drug campaign from the eighties of just say no. That's, that's my new thing. We're just going to say no. I thought you were going to say dare. And I was like, how are you going to put that? No, just say no. Just say no. We're not going to say no to some things. We will say no. We're going to say no. We're going to say no to the foolishness of the world on some things. And we're going to say it with compassion toward those whose souls are being damaged. But we're going to say no to the situations for ourselves. So that's my tweet of the week. Yay. You have any thoughts to round out the show? I know you're reading the comments. No, I was reading the comments and they were all good. Okay. Um, no, I'm 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 good. I think this okay. was this was good. It was educational. <laughs> we learned some new words. Polyamory. Yes. Yes. And thruple. Yes. Yes. All right. So please share the show. Um if share the conversation. Let's change the narrative. Share your thoughts about um what the what your thoughts are on the show with, with yeah. others. Yeah. Let's get the word out. I think it's important. Yeah. And be sure to uh, go to our website, uh, allthethingsshow.com and subscribe to the the show notes there. We'll send those out each week and you can get a reminder in your inbox in case you miss the show. You can find out the topics and as well as find out additional links and resources there for you uh, for follow up and follow us on social media. And just uh, we are so grateful for all of your support. You can check out the podcast across all platforms. And when you like and share and subscribe, it really helps all of us uh, to just help spread the word and let more people know about the important content that we're, we're doing on the show next week. Do not miss next week's show. It's going to be a great conversation. We're going to talk about my friend, pastor Michael youth pastor from Wiley, Texas is going to be talking to us about his TikTok experiment where he started following all his youth group kids on TikTok, And they had all lost their minds. And what happened? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so join us for that conversation. We'll see you next week. Bye.